Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. This is the only time you introduce me first. Are you keeping track of that? Yeah, because whenever we have somebody else on, you always introduce me last. But when we have nobody else, it's just me and you, you have no choice but to introduce me first. Well, you know, if you notice in movies, they'll say in the in the cast, you know, and they're introducing it, and, you know, Jim Bob Jump Back. Uh, you know, they always have the best one for last. Jim Bob Jump that, that's the, that, that is Kevin Sherrington right there, to a T. Old Corn Pone Kevin. <laughs> What's up? How was how was your last week, Kevin? Uh, it was good. You know, I'm I'm still I'm still struggling to get over this junk, whatever it is I've got. But I think I'm in the the final stretch of all of that, so I'm good. Uh, and and not so good. You know, uh, the we had the death of, of my old pal and mentor Dave Campbell, the editor of Texas Magazine, Texas Football Magazine, and that was that was t- hard. I, I was sorry to see that. 96 years old. That's a pretty good run though. Yeah. You know, I, I never, uh, since I've really never covered football in the state, I never really got to p- cross paths with Dave, but, uh, just seeing, um, what everybody has said about Dave Campbell, um, has been pretty, uh, pretty awe-inspiring to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, he was, he was a great guy. You know, it was about, uh, the best combination of person and sports writer, you could get in this state, uh, in my estimation, uh, just, uh, just a terrific man, uh, mentored hundreds of sports writers over the years, right up until the end. So many young people, uh, knew Dave and knew him well. Um, you know, the first, the first time I met him, uh, in a press box in Waco, he came up to tell me, uh, how much he enjoyed my stuff and that he had nominated me for a state award. And, and I didn't even know that Dave knew who I was, uh, at that time. And, and, you know, when people would ask you at times, um, you know, well, who are the guys that really mentored you along the way? And, you know, they expect you to hear certain names. And there were people along the way who were who were eventually pretty nice. But basically, I said, yeah, one guy, uh, Dave, Dave Campbell. Uh, that, and that's the uh, you know, it's not a knock on anybody else. Uh, it's just kind of tells you who he was. Uh, and so uh, sorry to see him go. His funeral is going to be Friday. There's going to be a lot of people there and, I, and I'll be. I'll be glad uh, to be there for that. So, so hats off to Dave Campbell. Uh, we do not have David Moore with us today. And one of the reasons we don't is because he's at a funeral uh, as we're recording this on Tuesday morning. So we're going to struggle on without him and talk about the Cowboys and uh, that game uh, on Sunday uh, against the Washington football team uh, at FedEx Field. Uh, they, they got off to as good a start as I've seen them play since the six game winning streak. And then they just kind of sat on that and, uh, and nothing happened, uh, afterwards. And then they had to hang on till the very end, uh, to win that game, uh, which was kind of, uh, frustrating. Once again, this, this Cowboys defense is all of a sudden tremendous. Uh, there have been times this year when it has been, you know, it, it's certainly been opportunistic, but still, Gives up a lot of yards, rushing, you know, gives up big plays, passing. Uh, that's, you know, I'm not going to, you know, when you got, when you're going up against Taylor Heineke, it's not exactly, you know, Aaron Rodgers. So we, we're going to have to kind of, you know, have give a little grain of salt with that. But still, the, the pass rush that they're generating now uh, with the return of Randy Gregory and with Demarcus Lawrence and, of course, with Micah Parsons, uh, that might be the best pass rush in the entire NFL. Yeah, you know the um, 
first half of the game, I was in the car. I was driving back from uh, from San Antonio. Make a very long story short here, but uh, my cousins from Israel were in the. They're they're doing the Jeff Whittington deal and driving around the southwest part of the country for a couple of weeks, and so they were coming as far uh, east as San Antonio. So we drove down, met them. These are two people who showed Gina and I like the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and Masada. We took them to the Alamo. Um, That's a religious shrine. On the historical scale, you know, they're showing me things that are 2,000 years old, and I'm showing them this 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 church. Um, that I will say this. They have done some stuff to the Alamo since I was there the last, two years ago. The... Uh, uh, some of the mu- some of the exhibits in the long barracks, I think, are pretty are pretty nice. And we ha- we actually went into the museum this time and had not, and it was uh, it was it was pretty cool. So I, I think they enjoyed it a lot. And then we walked around the Riverwalk, which they seemed to enjoy very much. And then we headed back to Dallas on Sunday morning. And so I was listening to the game first quarter in particular in the car. And uh, to listen to Brad and Babe, it just sounded like the Cowboys were in the backfield the entire time that Washington had no time to do anything and that they were absolutely just destroying the Redskins. Uh, and then I came home and turned it's on the not TV. Not the Redskins was, anymore, pal. I'm sorry. The, uh, the, the Wa- football Washington team. Football team. Yeah. And you know, I made a, I, I've, I've made a pact of never, ever calling them that. And there I go. Um, but uh, then I turned on the TV for the second half and it was, I, it was like I turned on an entirely different game. Yeah, it, it was. Well, like, the reason it was an entirely different game is because the, the offense never really got in that game. You know, they I will give them this. They got down the field and they were kicking field goals, and I was glad to see that. I was glad to see Mike McCarthy decide, you know what, these these field goals are not a bad idea. Let's just let's just keep kicking them. Uh, and that's what they did, kick four of them, as a matter of fact. And, you know, that's essentially the difference in the game. Uh, so uh, he was not messing around from that standpoint, not trying a lot of foolish things. Uh, but the, they just continue to struggle, you know, uh, and of course it just goes basically back to, to what's, what's going on with Dak Prescott. Uh, first of all, you know, we, we know he had the calf injury, uh, and, and ever since that calf injury, he just hasn't seen the same, uh, whether that has affected his mechanics or whether that has affected his confidence, uh, or, uh, or what it is. He, he came out of that game in Johnny Unitas's shoes. I don't, I don't know what he was doing, uh, but it was just, it's very odd to see him play this way. You know, we, Michael Gelkin, uh, one of our Cowboys beat writers, wrote before the game that, well, he's been thinking too much, processing too much, uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, it's, and, and he's overanalyzing everything when he's down there on the field. He doesn't look like he's overanalyzing it to me. He looks like during that game, uh, you know, he threw two interceptions, one of them, of course, a pick six, that one might have been a little bit understandable from the standpoint as he's rolling to his right, uh, uh, there's a defensive lineman in front of him. He doesn't see the linebacker behind the play, and he's trying to get the ball to Dalton Schultz. And, and you know, as it was pointed out by, uh, you know, the, the broadcast team, uh, a little bit of that was on Dalton Schultz. He, he was not mirroring uh, Dak. As Dak rolls out, you know, you're supposed to be running with him you know, and he kind of just sat down in the zone there and found his little place uh, and, and didn't, and didn't run with him. So I, I put a little bit of that on Dalton Schultz, who uh, I, I think, uh, you know, you want to talk a little bit about him, about what a weapon he had been 
early in the season, and now he's kind of disappeared a little bit. Uh, he had really made himself into a valuable tight end and a guy who was going to be maybe out of their price range after this season because he's going to be a free agent. Uh, and he's one of those rare tight ends who's a good blocker and, and, it, and it's shown himself to be a good pass catcher. And now, all of a sudden, not so much. Uh, so that's been a little bit of an issue as well. But but my point, getting back to Dak, was that there were two or three other times he that there should have been interceptions that he'd thrown. One on a screen in which he just threw the ball into the middle of a scrum of players. And, and as far as I could tell, was throwing it at an offensive lineman. You know, and I don't know, maybe he was – hoping that that offensive lineman wouldn't try to catch it. But the point is, is that you throw it in there like that and somebody tips it up in the air and then, you know, you know, all hell breaks loose. You know, who, who knows what happens at that point? Well, let me say this on, on, on Dak. I mean, and I, I'd like to go back and watch film and like break down the idea of each throw. Let's, let's, let's make a determination, bad mechanics or bad decision. And, and I think that, that bad decisions are brought around, by bad mechanics because you lose some confidence in your mechanics. And I still think that based on the calf injury, based on what, you know, my background is with baseball players and how they tell me they can favor that calf and overcompensate. I have to think that he's made some bad throws. Those bad throws have led to some bad confidence. Now, which was which in this game? I I couldn't tell you without going back and, and looking at, uh, and, and looking at film real closely, but, uh, it, it's an issue. I mean, it, 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 it's it's something that has not been resolved, and you would hope if he's healthy and he's gotten back to full strength that this would be resolved by now. But he can't afford to make these kinds of mistakes with, you know, the one game that's really going to be a determinant on their playoff situation coming up in, in, in two weeks. Well, let's look at the progression of, of Dak Prescott as, since he's been in the league uh, coming out of Mississippi State as a fourth-round draft pick. You know, that rookie season was historic. Uh, he was as, he had as good a rookie season as anyone has ever had at the quarterback position. Um, and he was basically, in that year, a bus driver. You know, he was a guy who turned around, handed it off to Zeke, uh, and, and, and made the plays he was supposed to make. They kept it very simple. It was all really great. Uh, and then, of course, he was he was asked to do more than that. And as he was asked to do more, it didn't look quite as good. You know, his mechanics weren't great. This is one of the reasons why he was a fourth-round draft pick. And the Cowboys had to do an awful lot of work with him. Uh, and, um, and, and over time, that work really showed. Dak's a really hard worker. Uh, and, and he became a much better player. And then before he got hurt last year, he was putting up record numbers. And then when he came back this year, he just picked up right where he'd left off before that. Was throwing the ball really well. It looked really good. His accuracy downfield had improved markedly. Uh, and those were those were things that you, we weren't really counting on seeing from him. And all of a sudden, he's doing that. And then he gets hurt, and now he looks like a different quarterback again. Now he's like into a third phase of his career in which he is uh, forcing passes, making bad decisions, uh, not looking like – uh, anything like he'd, he'd been before. So so now we're into a whole new phase with Dak. And uh, up to now, in, for most of his career, or I guess all of his career as a Cowboy, uh, it has been on his back because the Cowboys need to be good offensively to win games. Well, now their defense, if it keeps playing like it, it's playing right now, uh, their defense is almost good enough to win games for them. And so it, it's almost gone to the, back to – if Dak was just a bus driver, maybe that would be enough. 
if he's not turning the ball over, if he's just, you know, but the problem with that is, is that their running game's no good. When Pollard's healthy, their running game has been at least adequate. And I would think if they're both healthy going into the playoffs, their running game can be something of an asset, particularly if they get a lead. Well, I mean, it can be, but you know, their, their run blocking hasn't been that good. Listen, people like to say this all the time. And I had a nice conversation the other day with Babe Loffenberg, uh, and, and we're, we're talking about the offensive line. And, and you, you still hear people say on broadcast, well, this is a great offensive line. And as Babe said, no, it's not. It's not a great offensive line. Tyron Smith, when he's healthy, and he's not healthy this week, his ankle's uh, bad again. And so he's not going to play this week against the Giants either. Not that they'll probably need him, but he's out. The left guard has been uh, kind of a carousel there between Connor McGovern and Connor Williams. Tyler Biotic is is uh, uh, an average to below average center at this point in his career. Zach Martin is a Hall of Famer, uh, and and so you got a great right guard. And Lyle Collins has really regressed over what he'd been the year years before. That's why Terrence Steele was beating him out. So basically, you've got one guy playing in a Hall of Fame level, one guy Tyron Smith still very good, and the other three guys are all average to below average. And the reputation being what they were five years ago uh, when, when Zeke really first came into the league, um, they're, they're living off that reputation when people talk about this have, being a good line. And so is Zeke at this point in his career. Zeke uh, had really was playing well earlier this year before he hurt his knee, had really showed a burst that he hadn't shown in years. Now, now Tony Pollard certainly does have that, and you know we can argue all day long about which guy you'd rather see more of, but at this point, and of course, he's out with a he tore his plantar fasciitis. Uh, plantar fascia, I guess, is what he tore. Fasciitis is a inflammation uh, of that plantar fascia. Uh, so he's going to be out. That's something I learned, by the way, reading that story from about Pollard is that plantar tearing the plantar fascia is yeah. actually a lesser injury or less painful than plantar fasciitis because with the fasciitis you're constantly tearing, making more new little tears, and it's just like constant needle jabs into your foot. Correct. Uh, and I ha- I have had that, uh, as a matter of fact, and it is a painful thing. You can wear orthotics, and they can do all kinds of stuff to correct it, you know, and, and to alleviate it somewhat. Yeah, but, but not when you're running on turf against defense. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. So, I mean, I, I, I do think that there is plenty of time uh, – not plenty of time. There is time to, for Dak to get everything back together again, to get his calf, you know, healed, uh, you know, certainly, you know, playing against the Giants and the Eagles and Washington again. These are not, you know, uh, the kind of games that, that should challenge them much. Uh, those teams are all struggling of one, one kind or another, and, and especially with the Cowboys' pass rush being what it, what it is, none of those teams have a quarterback that uh, could, A, mount any kind of offense against you. And with the pass rush that they're generating these days, it makes it even more difficult. So there's time to get something going here. And then by the time they play Arizona on January the 2nd, uh, that will be an interesting game to see uh, where they are uh, and to see what they can do uh, against uh, the Cardinals, uh, which is obviously a much improved team coached by Cliff Kingsbury, uh, I'm just still amazed at what the people in Lubbock must be thinking of Cliff Kingsbury and the job he's doing in Arizona when he couldn't win uh, in Lubbock and he had Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think it shows you the difference between being a pro football coach and being a college football coach uh, and the the job requirements of each. Uh, Cliff just 
much better suited to be an NFL coach. So anyway, uh, that uh, that's going to be uh, a, a big deal for the Cowboys because it's going to determine who they're going to end up playing in the playoffs, Evan, and you're going to break that down for us, aren't you? I mean, I, well, I, I really think it comes down to this. If you beat Arizona, you know, you may be looking at third overall, um, maybe move ahead of the Cardinals in, in, in the playoff picking, picking order, and then you get the number six seed, which would be San Francisco um, in all likelihood, although – the bottom of the, the the six and seven spots are that's where you want to be. You know, yeah. I, 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 that's exactly where you want to be. The problem is if you lose to Arizona, you almost assuredly would then be facing the LA Rams in that first round. And that's a team that could give them a lot of trouble. It really is. Well, for sure. The Rams get, can give anybody a lot of trouble. Um, they got uh, they, they have struggled at times this year, but I tell you, that's the kind of team with Sean McVay as the coach. I can see them making a big push in the playoffs. Uh, they played, obviously, very well against Arizona. So uh, that that's a team that's going to do well. I wouldn't pay much attention to what their regular season record is. I think the Cowboys are a, a different – they're not in the, the Rams league. Let me just say that right now. They might They might get there, but they're not in the Rams league right now. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment. We're going to go talk now about the Rangers a little bit uh, as we're recording this. Because there's a lot going on. Oh, there's so much going on. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable uh, what's happening uh, with the Rangers these days. Let's see. Uh, what's happened in the last two weeks? Absolutely nothing. Uh, however, somehow the Astros contract with J- Justin Verlander was actually approved sometime this week because it only apparently took two weeks for everybody to notice that a signed contract had appeared at the Major League Baseball offices before midnight on December 1st. Whatever. Whatever, baseball. Just make up the rules as you go along. I I don't care. Somebody finally checked their mail? I I guess. I guess they sent it via snail mail. That's probably what they did. But I, 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 I do think this, Kevin, I, you know, the Rangers have had two weeks now. I, I, they did a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of negotiating, and it was an all-out sprint in that week before the deadline to get done what they needed to get done. And, and they, they, they did a, a, an awful lot of, of heavy lifting. Um, and, and in solving the middle infield situation, that was a big deal. I think we know that the Clayton Kershaw thing is all going to be dependent first upon Clayton throwing, and I think he's supposed to start throwing sometime this week, maybe maybe tomorrow or Thursday. Um, but let's take Clayton Kershaw out of the mix for a minute because that'll sort itself out. That's either going to be the Dodgers or the Rangers, and there's not much either team can do to, to kind of woo Clayton. It's, it's It really comes down to his personal situation. So if you're the Rangers and you're still you, – you are still going to make another move or two this, this offseason, my question for you would be – what would you, who would you prioritize? All right, what other player would be number one on your on your list right now for for prioritization? And let's talk free agency more so than trades because trades are so up in the air. Free agency, you know, you can target a player and specifically go after him. Yeah, you know, if you're talking about a trade, I would say a Matt Olson is the guy I would like to see the the, the sure. Rangers at. Uh, he's, he's young. I think we're in agreement. Yeah, there. he's young. He's as uh, a good hitter. He's a great fielder. He's just everything you want, uh, and he's getting the, getting you the kind of production you want out of a first baseman. And then, and then you're talking about an, an all-star infield. 
then uh, pretty much across the board, uh, depending on what Josh Young does when he eventually turns up at third base. Um, so that, that would be terrific. Uh, I, I'm going to say, though, in the outfield, I still think they need another bat. I see that they that the, the that the Raiders didn't think much of our uh, idea of platooning Cole Calhoun and DJ Peters, who's going to now be playing in Japan instead. Korea, uh, Korea, is that what it was? Korea. Okay, all right. Sorry about that. He could have gone over there. You know, uh, maybe enjoyed our uh, the, the path that Bobby Valentine made over there. But anyway. well, I, I listen. I'll just say this about DJ Peters: it's a little bit surprising to see that he's going to take a six hundred thousand dollar deal to go play in Korea this year. Because if he played in the big leagues, he'd make close to that. Um, but I think what it does say is that there's no that that certainly there were no guarantees that DJ Peters was going to spend his whole season in the big leagues. Um, and in the best case scenario for him would be that he went to camp and won a spot against left-handed pitching. Uh, I think now that comes down to Eli White. Or the intriguing possibility is if the Rangers do go out and maybe add another outfielder. Do you platoon? Do you consider the idea of platooning Adolis Garcia and Cole Calhoun in right field? Yeah, I guess you could. Do. Were his splits that different on uh, Adolis? Actually, no. I mean, I think the, the feeling is Garcia would be best against left-handed pitching, but he had actual his his splits were were a little bit reversed, but it wasn't like there was a, a marked advantage for him against right-handed pitching. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, I think what you need to do, this is the way you need to look at the Rangers outfield situation. You know, I'm as big a fan of Adolis as anybody. I, I, you know, I, yes, I watched what happened the second half of the season and and certainly, you know, that could all end up being who he really is instead of what he was in the first half. I, I, I don't even care if he's not what he was in the first half of the season. He was, he was Roberto Clemente in the first half. Uh, and, and I don't expect him to be able to keep that kind of thing up. I, I uh, but I do think you need to count on the fact that, or on the possibility that he's just not going to work out, and so that that means to me you need to load up some more in the outfield, and that's why I think when you ask who should they pursue, I'm saying Nick Castellanos. I, I think that if you could get a bat like that in the outfield, well, then you've solved at least one spot, uh, not only in your lineup but in your outfield because you really don't have anything definitive out there right now. I mean. You can okay. They signed Cole Calhoun. Uh, he probably at this point in his career needs to be a platoon player. And and what else do you have for sure out there? Adolis is still a question mark. You know, Leody Tavares is still a question mark. Eli White is still a question mark. You know, well, Willie Calhoun, if you want to stick him out there, he's still a question mark. These, there are no definitive answers, and you just can't have that out of your outfield. I mean, these are the guys who are supposed to be providing you with most of the punch in your lineup, and right now they're getting all of it from their infield. Uh, so I really think they need to sign one more big bat. Well, I, I'm, you know, outfield is where I'd be focused as well. And I mean, I, I think they're going to have to add another pitcher because I ran through the starting rotation last week for somebody and it's a little bit scary, um, beyond John Gray. There's a lot of unprovenness there, but my feeling, uh, is that, yeah, they, they need to add another outfield bat to really flush out this lineup. I, however, am going to add yet another question mark. My uh, my target would be Seiya Suzuki, the Japanese um, outfielder who's been posted. What I like is he's an athletic outfielder and a plus defender. I like that he does not swing and miss, um, certainly not as much as Castellanos or, or Conforto. Um, and I think that 
financially, it would also allow you a little bit more freedom. I think that if you sign um, Suzuki, it's going to cost you probably a total with the posting portion of about $13 million a year. I think if you want to sign Castellanos, it's going to cost you close to $20, $23 million a year. And so that that's money that you could use uh, elsewhere, particularly to beef up the pitching staff. Yeah, I get that. And my, my question is, is Suzuki going to be a player or not? I, I'd right. like to know what his countrymen say. I'd like to know what people who played with him say. But it was like uh, uh, Jose Abreu, when he came up and, and the, and the uh, Rangers were toying around with the idea of trying to sign him. Uh, I, I like what I read from what other Cuban players said. You know, then the other Cuban players all said, oh, this guy's really good. You know, uh, and 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 when you when you have you know the guys who have played with him saying that, I think that and guys who have been successful saying that, then that makes me feel good about it. I have no idea what anybody else says about Suzuki. I've not seen him play. Uh, uh, I would like to do that. I'd like to just to see him swinging a bat. You know, what does he look like? You know, is and I've heard that he's athletic. I've heard he's a good outfielder. Heard all those things. Those are all good, uh, and certainly his numbers over there were very impressive. But you know. Does it translate? That's that's the the big question. It's like you said, that's a question mark. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. You're adding to that. I would feel better about it is, you know, like I said, they just don't have any uh, de- uh, definitive uh, options out in the outfield. Uh, they're all guys you're, you're still uh, questioning about. It'd be nice if the farm system would produce somebody that you you felt that confident in, but it, but it hasn't. And I, I just think that's a real – that's another – black mark against this team is that my gosh, if you can't produce outfielders uh, it, it's, it's hard to find infielders. The guys are going to play two way, but you got to at least produce an outfielder that can hit. Uh, and, and so far they hadn't even been able to do that. So we'll see where they go from there. Is, is Sam Huff going to end up being the starting catcher? I think I've asked you that before. Not on open, not on the opening day roster. Look, he didn't catch it all this year. Um, even to the point where, uh, his Arizona fall league time was, was shortened. Um, they will go into the season with some kind of platoon, uh, for, uh, for Heim and Trevino, unless they, they find, um, uh, a veteran piece on the free agent market. And really there's not, uh, not a great free agent pool of catchers out there. So I think the Rangers would try and get by with Trevino and and uh, um, and Heim to start the year. You know, you can do a left right kind of uh, kind of platoon there. I think there might be some thought at, at least looking at Matt Watley in spring training. He's a good defensive catcher, good framer. I don't know if he can hit as much as Trevino. Um, it's not saying a whole lot because Jose just didn't hit that much this year, but. I think that would be the way they'd go until Huff is ready to play. But it, it's it's clearly being cleared out for Sam Huff. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers segment. We want to uh, close out uh, what's probably going to be our last live um, podcast of the season. So we're gonna we're gonna make a couple of uh, predictions here on what's going to happen in the CFP uh, and Evan's going to have his and I'm going to have mine. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the fact that, that uh, Bryce Young uh, won the Heisman Trophy. I have a Heisman Trophy vote, as does about, oh, I don't know, 8 million other people. Uh, I do not. Oh, well, then you're the only one that I don't know uh, that doesn't have a vote. Uh, 
Uh, I voted for Bryce Young. It, you know, it was uh, it just feels like such a cop out vote. He's the quarterback of the best team in the country. Uh, but, you know, there's a reason why before the season even started, remember all that NIL talk and about uh, Nick Saban saying about how much this guy was going to make. And everybody was like, oh, my gosh, how can you promise this much money to a kid who's never even played before, uh, not at the college level? And then you watch him play, and it's kind of like, yeah, well, okay. I guess they knew what they were talking about. Uh, he, he doesn't make mistakes. He's very calm. Uh, and he, uh, uh, you know, he played so well against Georgia. Uh, that was supposedly the best defense in the country. And he just picked Georgia apart. Uh, he did. And, and, you know, I mean, I had watched him on several occasions earlier in the year and really didn't think didn't think I had seen anything terribly special. You know, if I, I guess if I had been leaning anywhere, I thought I saw more from from Corral than I did for, from uh, from Bryce Young. But the performance against Georgia was, quite frankly, masterful. And I don't know if that was him or if it was the, the, the Alabama scheme, but I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, and so I can't, I can't argue with that. To me, there wasn't anybody who was so outstanding in college football that was just, you have to take notice of this guy every week. No, there wasn't that, you know, it's usually it's a quarterback you're looking for. So that was my, my first vote was Bryce Young. Second was CJ Stroud of Ohio state. Um, I was last impressed with him. I didn't feel as good about my second and third picks. Generally speaking, and Aiden Hutchinson, the the, defensive end from Michigan was my third pick. Uh, I like to put, uh, you know, there's there's a reason why we have so many voters in the Heisman is that, you know, you want to count for regional guys. And and uh, I just didn't have anybody from this region that I thought was worthy of a Heisman vote or even close to being that, uh, which kind of kind of sad. And, I, and I'm always looking for an excuse to shove a defensive player up in there if I feel like one is really outstanding. And I just didn't – I didn't see that either. You know, there was just – it was just that kind of season where, you know – there uh, weren't a lot of great arguments to make. You could pick apart pretty much anybody. And that's kind of what it was with uh, Bryce Young. It's just kind of, he, he won the war of attrition uh, yep. and, and all of that. So, so congratulations to him for that. Uh, so speaking of which, so we're going to have the CFP here and we're going to have Alabama playing uh, uh, Cincinnati in the first game. And then we're going to have Georgia and Michigan. Playing in the uh, other, uh, we're going to have that Alabama game is going to be here, Alabama and Cincinnati at the Cotton Bowl, or well, it's not actually at the Cotton Bowl. It is the Cotton Bowl at Jerry World. Uh, it always is very confusing to me. I don't like that. Uh, but um, so, Evan, I want to ask you who you got winning in the semis. So uh, I've got Alabama winning a very close game against Cincinnati because what they do is they win nothing but close games against uh, all their the uh, other opponents that they face except Georgia. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I've got them winning Georgia. a close, a surprisingly close game against Cincinnati. What do you what do you want to give me a score? Uh, let's go. Um, we're gonna go thirty-one uh, twenty-eight Alabama. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, Alabama 35 to 20. That's what I'm gonna say. I'm I'm like that's not gonna be very close. Cincinnati's uh, they they just haven't played a tough schedule. They beat Notre Dame. I give them all the credit in the world for that. Uh, but as we as we find that the issue is with these schools, it's not the one or two games you win against a good team. It's when every week you are butting your head up against really good teams and you're holding your own. That's, that's the mark of a really great football team. I don't have any problem with Cincinnati being in the, uh, in the CFP. They earned it. 
And it was this was the year for them to get in. Everything just dovetailed perfectly for the Bearcats. Uh, so I, I'm no, they be, they belong in. There's no doubt in my mind they belong in. So yeah, so it's fine. Uh, all right, so and they've got a, they've got a big opportunity in front of them. If, if they were to somehow play Alabama close or beat Alabama, they they can make a statement for the group of five. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Luke Fickle, who was the who is the Cincinnati coach and wanted to be the Notre Dame coach, I think, uh, and, and lost out on that chance. He he was up for a lot of jobs and he's still at Cincinnati and gonna be at Cincinnati again next year. So uh, that's uh, good for good for Cincinnati fans. Uh, I'm sure they're tired of losing their coaches to bigger uh, jobs. Uh, in the Georgia Michigan game, this is uh, once again Evan a chance for your Bulldogs to finally live up to something and be what Vince Dooley. Um, tried to make them into being, you know, are they going to beat Michigan or not? Uh, Kevin, because I am a glutton for punishment, um, I will spend New Year's Eve in front of my television watching Georgia and Michigan. Um, Probably, in in all reality, probably an incredible misery. But because I am nothing if not an optimist, I am going to say that the Georgia defense, with its speed and with its – with now something to prove again, is really going to rise up. And I think that when it's all said and done, JT Daniels is going to end up playing quarterback for Georgia. I think he's a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. I don't think there was any way that that JT Daniels would have stayed healthy all year had he played all year. Um, But maybe for two games he can. And so I'm going to say that Georgia is going to be able to air it out a little bit more. Uh, And uh, they're going to beat Michigan – um, 34, 30, 34, 30. You're going to, you're going to have some barn burners going on in your games. I'm going to say this is going to be a defensive struggle. And I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Georgia 24 to 20 over Michigan. Uh, so you're not buying the big 10 either. No, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't buy the, the Big Ten most of the time. I think, if you, you know, when it's Ohio State and they've, and they've backed up the truck and they've got all these great athletes, you know, and they're all going to be, you know, they got three top ten picks, then okay, yeah, I'm, I'm buying Ohio State. But for the most part, now Aiden Hutchinson might be the the, the first pick of the draft uh, for all we know. So he's, he's going to be a top five. That's a difference maker. Uh, and and that's, that's what you, you know, that's what you got to have. Uh, I, I do think that, Jim Harbaugh is a weird dude, but I think he's a really good coach. Uh, and uh, and I think that he's finally, you know, I'm, I'm glad he was able to stick it out there at Michigan and they didn't fire him and he was able to, to keep this uh, going. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Michigan beat Georgia. Obviously, that's going to be a much- I, won't, I, I won't be either, but I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to pick Georgia. I, I, I think that their defense is, is really, really good. Um, and I think their offense is going to be able to open it up a little bit more. If they do get a lead, you know, if they do get a lead, the way that running game punished people in the in the third and fourth quarters all year just allows them to absolutely wear people down. So um, maybe we get a rematch of Georgia-Alabama, which would be like me banging my head into a wall for the for the 15th time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with Georgia. The, the one thing I'll just say about this is I don't know what it is, Kevin. Maybe it's my brain. Um playing tricks on me but i it never looks to me like a big 10 team with the exception of an occasional ohio state team has any speed they all look big and slow and i 
I, that's what I thought I saw when I was watching Michigan against Ohio, uh, against Iowa in the championship game. So I think Georgia can exploit their their their, their speed and and do some uh, do some good things offensively. Here's what I think: If Georgia and Alabama end up in the championship game again, I think that Georgia should show up and then just walk to midfield and say, "It's okay, y'all. Y'all can be national champions. We don't want to go out here and do this again. We don't want to embarrass ourselves again." Okay, we concede. We're just glad we got here. We're glad we got to the championship game. It's a really nice place, and that's enough for us. Four times in six years, it would be amazing. So, yeah, yeah. And I think if they get back there again, I think Alabama's going to beat them again. Uh, you know, the, the, you would think the odds would be against that, right? That's the thing. If you're if you're playing a team more than once in a year, you know, how do you beat them twice? Uh, and how do you beat a team as good as Georgia twice? I don't know. But it's just that they beat them so handily in that game. They did. Evan, it was just like it wasn't even close. So I don't know. And it, 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 it just it reinforces to me, and I, I wonder this. I, I wasn't old enough to watch Bear Bryant uh, closely. But I do wonder if, if, if Nick Saban is the greatest college coach of all time. And, and, and I'd lean that way at this point. Ah, yeah, of course he is. He's got to be. You know, it's, it's harder to win now than it was back then. Back then, you just, if you're Alabama, you got all the best players you wanted. You loaded up your, you had a hundred guys on the, you know, you're, you're recruiting a hundred guys. You're just taking guys so somebody else doesn't get them. You're never planning to play those guys at all. You know, to win now, to dominate now, like they have, uh, I think that tells you all you need to know about what they do. All right, uh, and and we're we're pretty dominant too, me and you, Evan. We dominated this podcast. I don't know how dominant I am. Kevin, can I just uh, finish with this one thing for you? Um, sure. I, you know, I have here my Sherrington Toy Drive invitation for yeah. Friday or Saturday? Saturday. Saturday. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to bring my toy over there. Why is it every year I just bring the same, like, Tonka truck for a kid? I guess this is when I was a kid. I never got something like this. So I found a dirt mover. And I'll bring oh. my big dirt mover over there, and some kid will get that. I applaud what the Sherringtons do every year with their toy drive. I just wish that I would show a little bit more creativity in what the toy is that I bring over there for a change. The dirt mover is a big – it's a big item. Are you kidding? I, we love the dirt mover. That's a, Debbie, right. when she when she gives toys to kids uh, that like when her – when she sells a house and they've got kids, she always gives them a, a, an earth mover. Well, you're, you'll get another one. All right, perfect. All right, Evan, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for everything. It's been a great year. We're going to have a couple of podcasts uh, ready for you. They're kind of like a little special evergreen podcast. And we're going to enjoy those. Our end of the year specials. Our end of the year specials. All right. From everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you.